Open the podcast doors, Hal. It's Kubrick's universe, the Stanley Kubrick podcast. Hi, and welcome back once again to Kubrick's Universe and our special presentation of Nathan Abrams' 2001 Beyond 50 event that was held at Bangor University in Wales on June 16th, 2018. In this fifth and final installment, we are going to hear an introduction to 2001 A Space Odyssey by Stanley Kubrick's brother-in-law and longtime producer, Jan Harlan. Jan Harlan joined Stanley Kubrick in 1969, initially as producer on an intended feature film on the life of Napoleon Bonaparte, which had been a passion project of Stanley's for many years, but was ultimately, lamentably, abandoned. Mr. Harlan was later executive producer on all of Kubrick's films from Barry Lyndon onwards, and of course he worked with Stanley on many other unrealized projects in between. These days, Jan is a guest lecturer at many different film schools around the globe, and he often serves in juries at film competitions. He was principally involved in the formation of the Stanley Kubrick Archive at the University of the Arts in London, as well as his instrumental work in helping to create the large traveling exhibition on Stanley Kubrick, which continues to tour the world and has had well over a million visitors so far. Clark and Stanley Kubrick belong to a very small group of artists who used both science and fiction to express philosophical and actually spiritual ideas and with a minimum of words. Both men were fascinated with what they didn't understand, what was beyond their possibility to know but had to exist whatever it was. The Cold War and the arms race were strong influence at the time, and both men lived in a spirit of hope and pessimism. Kubrick was convinced that humanity would not survive in the long run, not the way we behave, and our self-destruction would be inevitable. Whether it's 50 years or 500 years, it doesn't matter. It's a blink in the eye anyway. While Arthur C. Clarke was a bit more optimistic, and had written a tale where mankind is saved by an extraterrestrial power that explains, and I quote Arthur C. Clarke from his story, when we arrived, you were on the point of destroying yourself with the powers that science had rashly given you. Without our intervention, the Earth today would be a radioactive wilderness. Both men shared the same spirit. Agnostics, curious, super-intelligent, and in awe of the endlessness of the universe. Allow me to quote Arthur C. Clarke again, who wrote in the 1968 summary that explains the spirit he and Stanley Kubrick shared so totally. Behind every man alive stand 30 ghosts. For this is the ratio by which the dead outnumber the living. 
Since the dawn of time, a hundred billion human beings have walked the planet Earth. Now, this is an interesting number. For by a curious coincidence, there are approximately a hundred billion stars in our local universe, the Milky Way. So, for every man and woman who has ever lived in this universe, there shines a star. But every one of those stars is a sun, often far more brilliant and glorious than the small nearby star we call the sun. And many, perhaps most, of these alien suns have planets circling them. So, almost certainly there is enough land in the sky to give every member of the human species back to the first ape man his own private world-sized heaven or hell. How many of those potential heavens and hells are inhabited? And by what manner of creatures? We have no way of guessing. The very nearest of them is a million times further away than Mars or Venus, those still remote goals of a next generation. But the barriers of distance are crumbling. One day we shall meet our equals, or our masters, among the stars. Men have been slow to face this prospect. Increasing numbers, however, are asking why have such meetings not occurred already, occurred already, since we ourselves are about to venture into space? Why not indeed? 2001 A Space Odyssey offers one possible answer to this very reasonable question. But please remember, this is only a work of fiction. The truth, as always, will be far stranger. <laughs> Arthur was a bit too optimistic about how quickly this might happen. At the moment it seems that Stanley's pessimism about human future is more justified. The way we behave and we might indeed need to be rescued, who knows. In 1968 it was mainly young people who fell in love with Stanley Kubrick's film 2001 A Space Odyssey. They were not bothered by intellectual anal analysis or logic or likelihood. They sensed the respect for the unknowable, the admiration of the huge and incomprehensible design around us. They were, yeah, they were hung, there was a hunger for thinking big. Mainly teenagers and young men expressed in endless letters, almost love letters, their enthusiasm. The so-called establishment and many otherwise clever and learned critics had difficulties with 2001 and didn't understand the film. They considered it to be incomprehensible. It was Stanley himself who told me that this film was rescued by teenagers, uh, let's say young men up to 30. How did all this begin? What was the driving force 54 years ago when Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke began working on the film? It started with The Sentinel, a story by Arthur, a story where a power beyond our grasp planted an alarm system on our moon, perhaps after having considered our Earth's future potential. That was Arthur's story, and this was where both men began pouring out their fantasies about what might be behind the universe, its creation, its beginning, and what else it may contain. And they knew they were clueless. Arthur, the scientist, Stanley, the artist, 
both so bright and curious, and fully aware that they knew very little. What they did know was that our little galaxy, the Milky Way, a puny little thing, with a diameter of barely 100,000 light years, still contains about 100 billion stars, with our sun, a smallish example, being just one of them, a gorgeous source of heat and light for our planet. We wouldn't exist without it. It, it was like a brilliant example of what else there would exist, might exist, had to exist in the vast universe. Even if only one planet of one million has the potential for life as we know it, there would be thousands and thousands of those in our and in other galaxies far away from us. I remember Arthur joking about people who thought man was the only intelligent life in the universe and responded with, well, when I hear this, I must say I'm still looking for intelligent life on Earth. <laughs> Here we had the seed to what became a story for a film script with the titled Journey Beyond the Stars. It wasn't Jupiter. Jupiter was a mere bus stop on a trip to infinity and beyond. I was very lucky as a young man of 27 years old and living in New York in my previous profession when I met up with Stanley and Arthur regularly, mainly over dinner with my sister and the three girls. They never stopped working, and through these numbers of millions of light years and billions of stars and planets around, and I could only listen in astonishment. It was 37 years later when I filmed Arthur in Sri Lanka for my documentary film on Stanley Kubrick. I reminded him of these talks and told him that back then it sounded to me like there were as many stars, planets, and moons in all these galaxies than there were well, grains of sand by the sea. He looked at me, paused, smiled, shook his head, and only said, not enough sand. Never forget that. They finished their script. Stanley moved back to England, where MGM had a studio in Wormwood in North London. A long production began building with plywood and steel, black velvet and light, paint and polish to form a path to the unknown territory of 2001 A Space Odyssey, as the film was finally called. CGI, computer-generated images, did not yet exist. But music was used as a pillar in the structure of this new visual experiment. The art department developed endless designs for what a world outside our galaxy might look like. Fantasy figures of extraterrestrial life were developed. And with the help from scientists, philosophers, clerics, and space experts at NASA, the text for a narration was written and recorded. But all this was dismissed and never used, as we have heard today, uh, and following also Kubrick's motto, never try to explain something that you don't understand yourself, but trust an audience to feel with you. Yes, he split the audience and the critics. But so do all artists, painters, composers, and writers who push the boundaries. It's very typical. Marc Chagall's loving couples fly. And his donkeys too. Well, they do. And Kubrick's spaceship dances to a Viennese walls. What else? But don't forget, as I said, the truth, as always, will be far stranger. I hope you enjoy this wonderful film. Thank you.
friends, this concludes our special five-part series of Kubrick's Universe presented by Professor Nathan Abrams, 2001 Beyond 50. Big thanks from all of us to Nathan for allowing us to broadcast this and to all the speakers who contributed to this fantastic discussion and celebration. I mean, it really has been our honor to bring this unique event to you. As always, my sincere thanks to our producer and editor, Stephen Rigg, and from the team at SCAS, James Marinaccio and Mark Lentz, all of whom allow me to sound a lot smarter than I really am. <laughs> so, sincerely, thank you all so much for tuning in. We really hope you've enjoyed this special multi-part presentation. And please, don't forget to give our podcast a rating and a review. It really does mean a great deal to us, and moreover, it's essential for our being able to keep bringing you new episodes of Kubrick's Universe. Thanks again to James for selecting more great outro music. This one comes from one of my personal favorite guitarists, the police's own Andy Summers, and is called 2010. Now, 2010, as you will note, is based on Thus Spake Zarathustra by Richard Strauss, and it comes from Andy Summers' album 2010, the original motion picture soundtrack. Andy Summers is himself a Kubrick fan of high esteem. He is a film composer with a very impressive catalog that showcases his massive talents beyond his work in the police, beyond the scope of intelligent pop music, beyond the confines of traditional soundscapes. For now, this is Jason Furlong wishing you peace, good health, and safe passage to Jupiter and beyond the infinite.
It's Kubrick's universe. We just live in it. We have taken very thorough precautions in this podcast against broadcasting anything which might only be attributed to human error. Come back soon.